Hey guys, this is the Lords of Order podcast, a DC Comics Dr. Fate fan podcast, episode 77. I am your host, Ed Moore, and this is a spoiler podcast. Now that may or may not play a part in this particular episode. I'll get to that in just a moment. But first, feedback can be emailed to the Dr. Fate fan podcast at gmail.com. Website comments on bigtimenoise.com slash Dr. Fate. Tweets to Teal, T-E-A-L, Productions. And additional comments not covered by the previous three outlets can be left on Facebook and Google Plus on the Lords of Order podcast pages. Now, this episode... I'm sorry, I said 77. This is episode 78. We've got to keep our numbers straight. I'm doing something a little different in the chronology that I use. Uh, in lieu of a true Golden Age book, the next several entries are Golden Age appearances as written in the 1980s, predominantly by one Roy Thomas via his All-Star Squadron book. Now, what I have done, because typically those stories are not integral integral to the Dr. Fate story, I have lumped what I thought was going to be ten books together. Actually, he only made significant appearances in six. So that shows you how much he is or is not used in All-Star Squadron. They occur between issues 19 and 28 of the series, which came out variously from March to December 1993. I said 80s, I apologize. Early 90s. All were written by Roy Thomas, penciled by Jerry Ordway, Rick Hoberg, and Richard Howell, inked by Jerry Ordway, Mike Macklin, Larry Houston, Richard Howell, and Gerald Fortin, colored by Gene D'Angelo, Carl Wofford, and Adrian Roy, and lettered by John Costanza, Corey McCarthy, David Cody Weiss, or Gary Cody. Now, in issues 19 and 20, um, the significance for Dr. Fate slash Kent Nelson, um, we learn that uh, during the time in All-Star Comics, I believe the story was in issue 11, or it might have been 10 and 11, where the human aliases of the Justice Society members all entered the service to do their part. Well, that was retconned in issues 19 and 20 of the All-Star Squadron to show that the JSA was actually captive by captive had been captured by I'm not sure how to phrase that had been captured by Brainwave and what they thought they had been living was actual a virtual reality construct that he had placed in their minds to keep them occupied while he had them captured in issue 21 of All-Star Squadron we find out uh, little bits and pieces of the backstory of heroes for World War II, such that we learned this in part in the All-Star Squadron, uh, excuse me, in All-Star Comics. Wow, this is going to be confusing. I'll try to pay attention to what I'm saying, guys. 
it's confusing enough to me, and I've, I actually have notes. If I don't speak correctly, I'm sure it will be completely confusing to you. That due to machinations of the Germans and Japanese, any superheroes that were magically based as far, far as their power set was concerned would become servants of the Axis, which predominantly were the German and Japanese Italians, I believe, a little bit later. Uh, in issue 21, we also see that woman, <laughs> Wonder Woman, excuse me. Um, okay, let me refocus here. Wonder Woman agrees to be the recording secretary of the JSA. Now, in All Star Comics, she isn't there one issue and she is there the next issue. There's never any story about what occurs. Several scenes about the interaction and why she agreed to do that and um, uh, the the fleshing out of that story occurred in 1993 in issue 21 of All-Star Squadron. Retcon is what that's called, retroactive continuity, uh, for those of you that may not know. Let's see, moving on, we see that Dr. Fate heads out with Adam and Hawkman of the JSA and Firebrand of the All-Star Squadron to check out the Hammer of Thor that was captured and hidden away in a recently previous issue of All-Star Squadron. And it turns out it wasn't the real Hammer of Thor, but it was a powerful artifact, so it was important nonetheless. They arrive at the hotel uh, that the JSA is using as their headquarters to find that it's been trashed and learn that it was so due to the evil person who is um, gallivanting around looking for the hammer. Turns out his name is Cyclotron. Uh, A battle ensues between our four heroes and Cyclotron. Ultimately, the good guys win. Firebrand remains there while Fate, Hawkman, and the Atom journey to Washington, D.C. to hook up with the rest of their JSA pals who are meeting with, I would assume, FDR there. There being Washington, D.C. Along the way, however, Dr. Fate decides that uh, because the Spectre has been MIA lately, He's getting this bad vibe feeling kind of thing. So he's going to go to his tower in Salem where he has some magical items that will help him try to locate the specter. Now remember, he has to do this because currently Dr. Fate is no longer in command of the full spectrum of his Lord of Order powers because of the change in the helm that he's wearing. So he has some residual... Uh, power that he is able to use, but mainly he is a super strong physical fisticuffs kind of hero uh, who can also fly uh, by running uh, through the air. But that's listen to previous issues to hear me talk about that. It's funny, but it's annoying uh, both at the same time. So Hawkman decides to journey on to Washington, D.C. now while Dr. Fate and the Atom. And remember, this is the Golden Age, Adam. Travel to Fate's Tower in Salem. On the way, we get a quick story 
where fate tells Adam about the change in his power set because of the full helmet of Thoth slash helmet of Naboo, uh, whichever you want to call it, depending on when you're reading comic books, and and this half helmet that he now wears, which is not a, a helmet of anything. It's a helmet that fate constructed just out of metal. It supposedly... Uh, and so far, they've stuck to it. It has no; it doesn't imbue any powers onto the wearer itself, unlike that full face mask does. They arrive at the tower and find that Inza, who is now living in the tower, um, I think that's really the first that we've heard of that, but has been attacked by someone who is rifling. Is that? Is that the right word? When you go through stuff haphazardly? Rifling through all of Fate's stuff in the tower. And I was asking my wife, not not you guys, because you couldn't answer me soon enough. So, And his, his name is Amazing Man. Uh, he is a hero of uh, uh, dark persuasion. I don't know if it's appropriate to call people African-American anymore or... You know, I, I don't know how he identified in 1993, so I, I'm not sure but he was of darker persuasion. Looking for the helmet, through the course of this issue where uh, Amazing Man really is introduced, his character, how he is treated by the All-Star Squadron, which ultimately he will go on to join, his origins as far as who gave him his powers, why he got his powers, and what he did with his powers is eerily similar to the Simon Williams slash Wonder Man story from those early issues of Avengers, for those of you that are Marvel fans and may not be hardcore DC fans and aware of Amazing Man's story already. Eerily similar. Uh, Finally, after defeating Amazing Man... Kent, in order to find Spectre once and for all, decides that the only way to do it is to put back on the full helm of Thoth slash Naboo and flies off with an unconscious, recently defeated Amazing Man and the Atom to deposit them somewhere before he continues on his journey. Now, the biggest uh, takeaway from him donning that full helmet is that the reason he stopped using it was because the entity inside the helmet, Nabu, took over Kent's body. It possessed Kent's body in using him to wield the magics. Kent was no longer comfortable with his c- control of his physical body being subsumed, I think would be the correct word. Is that, does that sound right? Subs- you don't know that word. Okay. Um... So now he has agreed to be possessed, in essence, by putting the helmet on himself. Everyone is concerned, disappointed about that. Inza even tells him on the way out to go to hell. That's how upset she is by it. In issue 27 and 28, uh, those are very pertinent. Not that this issue 23 wasn't, it, it, but it, it gave us backstory that we've already encountered pretty much. But 27 and 28 is an aspect of Dr. Fate that we have not seen in more fun or all-star comics 
because it did not exist until Roy Thomas wrote this. So this is a uh, full-on addition to Dr. Fate Kent Nelson's story via the retconning courtesy of All-Star Squadron. Um, We see that the Justice Society is going to meet up with... uh, the, The rest of the Justice Society is going to meet up with the Atom who is currently in a hospital because of a recent battle that occurred in the month or two previous All-Star Squadron annual. He's recovering in the hospital, being attended to by Firebrand of the All-Star Squadron. Wonder Woman takes her magic sphere, hooks it to the Atom's brain, because the Atom was the last Justice Society member to see Dr. Fate, to find out what he remembers try to locate Dr. Fate, and thus, perhaps, Spectre. While uh, the device is, is, is plumbing the depths of Adam's brain, everyone else is, is privy to it. They're watching it on a screen. So we catch up with Dr. Fate. They catch up with Dr. Fate. Everyone is watching it on Wonder Woman's magic sphere. We see Fate encounter the Spectre who is guarding a tomb in some uh, freaky Ditko-esque kind of other dimension. By using distraction, Fate gets by the Spectre and enters a tomb that he is actively protecting and finds out that the tomb contains the uh, comatose body of Kulak, high priest of Burtzel, whom Spectre defeated in All-Star Comics issue 2. Long time ago. And I would tell you the episode that I talked about that, but I didn't write it down. Just go back and look. There's only been 11 episodes where I've talked about All-Star Comics, so it'll be pretty easy to figure it out. Uh, many pages of fighting occur between Spectre and Dr. Fate, until finally... The Spectre gets the upper hand and banishes Dr. Fate through, and I quote, an infinity of dimensions to the end of recorded time. So it sounds like quite the banishment. Kulak, who now has gained consciousness, um, not really sure why, it just happens. In next issue, issue 28, we get that story filled in about what occurred there, but Kulak is now awake, traps a specter that he has knocked out, and proceeds to attack Earth's dimension, uh, Earth Earth Prime here. Uh, conveniently, his attack is via a, a ripping of the dimensional shroud uh, between the two dimensions, and it happens right next to the building where the JSA is. I... How much more convenient than that can you get, right? It it could be anywhere on Earth, but he pops out right there next to where they are, so they don't have to work very hard to fight him, which, in the beginning of issue 28, they do. Full force, JSA and Firebrand attacking a giant Kulak. Uh, the, The tear in dimensions is big enough for him to put his two hands through, and that's all so far, and it's it's huge. The tear in the dimensions is as big as a building. But 
because of the nature of the threat, another hero has arrived because he has felt uh, goofiness in things, and that is Sargon the Sorcerer. Now, Sargon the Sorcerer is important because of a lot of the foundation of this whole story that we're following right now is his fault. He, he had something to do with it. Um, he tells us via telling Adam, who is still caught on the sidelines because he's not completely healthy to go into the fight, but he's jonesing for a fight. So to keep him busy, Sargon is telling him this. We get the story about the big red jewel that Sargon wears on his turban. It's called the Ruby of Life. A portion of that ruby has been broken off and has put into, mounted into a ring called, yes, exactly, the Ring of Life. The two are connected mystically, physically, they exchange energies and all this other stuff. The specter, in his defeat of Kulak, was granted the Ring of Life in order to defeat Kulak by some higher being. Now, as far as I know, about the only being higher than the specter is God, because that's who the specter is. He's God's wrath. So, I guess that's who gave Specter the ring in order to defeat Kulak. Now, in his exploits, the specter lost the ring. Then he found the ring. Then he lost it again because Kulak sensed it, even though he's unconscious. Go figure. Took it, brought it to the dimension that the specter had initially banished him to, and is leeching the power of the power that comes through the ring to give himself the power he is missing to, uh, in essence, reanimate himself after whatever the specter did to defeat him by using the Ring of Life. So I guess he used it to suck some of the life out of Kulak, and now he's sucking it back? I don't know. There's a lot of suck it. No, there's not. Um, It's a decent story. I'm kidding. Um, So let's see what happens. Kulak is... is, uh, momentarily defeated by the Justice Society, goes back to his dimension, the tear in between the two seal up. But within a page or two, he raises the unconscious specter, takes over him, and sends him to Earth's dimension to do his dirty work. While the JSA is now fighting the specter, who, come on, they're they're not possibly going to stand a chance in any prolonged battle against the specter. That's just, that's goofy. Sargon goes through the, um, what was it called here? The Infinity of Dimensions. Um, I don't think Dr. Fate reached the end of recorded time yet because Sargon found him before he got all the way to the end. But Sargon gets him, retrieves him, pulls him back. Dr. Fate attacks Kulak in the prison dimension. Kulak wins, takes the helmet of Thoth slash Nabu, casts Kent Nelson into Earth's dimension from a very high altitude, so he is plummeting to Earth, uh, getting the attention of some of the Justice Society members. As Kulak is attempting to use the helmet to finish off Earth's dimension, the helmet attacks back, sending Kulak plummeting through an infinity of dimensions to the end of recorded time. 
Thus, Kulak is defeated. However, the helmet of Thoth slash Nabu goes with him. Not to return, apparently, until sometime in the 1960s, our time, uh, during one of the JLAJSA team-ups, I believe is the next time that the full helm is going to be seen. But stick with me as we cover things. We'll find out exactly when it is, but I believe that's when it pops back up. Kent, meanwhile, redons the half-helm of no power and resumes his virtual no-magic life as the half-helmed Kent Nelson, Dr. Fate, that we are familiar with from his actual Golden Age appearances. And so there is my quick summation of six issues of All-Star Squadron. Like it, dislike it, whatever your thoughts are, let me know, please, so that I know. This is my inkling as far as most of these All-Star Squadron appearances is to try to group these together in one show. Uh, Looking at it, it doesn't look like I've gone overly long compared to the other episodes either, so it looks like the format will work as far as maintaining some sort of format for the show. But you guys let me know what you think. Otherwise, episode 79, next episode I'll be talking about the current volume of Dr. Fate, issue 16. Talk to you guys then. Ciao. Lords of Order is a teal production and as such is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, non-derivative 3.0 unported license. 